The Daily Bread had a story uh, many years ago, and it says that the fighting was fierce in the days before Christmas during the First World War. A German soldier, soldier emerged from his trench and tried to advance, but he was hit by gunfire and severely wounded. As he tried to crawl back to safety, he became caught in barbed wire. After his screams turned to moans, an American climbed out of his trench and inched his way to the injured man. Now, can you imagine the scene? Here's a German person who's trapped in barbed wire. The American sees it and now is clawing his way to help this German uh, soldier. Remember, both of them are enemies. When the two opposing commanders saw what was happening, they ordered the troops to cease fire. In the eerie silence, the American comforted the, and freed the wounded German, then carried him to the waiting arm of his comrades. The guns remained silent until he returned to his trench. Last week I said that it's easy for us to give up our lives for our our friends. It's easy to give up our lives or make a sacrifice for those we love. It's easy to make sacrifice for our relatives. But it's very difficult for us to make sacrifices for our enemies. For those who hate you, for those who are after your job, for those who are always insulting you and those who are always persecuting you. And Jesus was very blunt when he said to the, to the Jews of his day, he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. It's so clear to me that one of the proofs of our sonship, one of the proofs of, of being a child of God is a love for other people. Not just a love for just anybody, but especially a love for those who, let's see, put in layman's terms, who are after your own blood. That's a difficult thing to do, right? And so, it's easy for us to love those whom, who love us back. It's easy to buy a birthday gift because you know when you buy this person a birthday gift, they're going to buy you a birthday gift when it's your birthday. But what about giving to somebody whom you know you might not receive anything back from? That's the challenge of our faith. The beautiful song we sang just now, Deep the Father's love for us, a vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch, that's us, His treasure. As Jesus hung upon the cross, Jesus demonstrated a love for people whom He knew may reject Him may turn their backs against him, may not even bother about 
about it. Yet Jesus went to the cross for you and I. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of John. I want to finish up that passage there in John chapter 3 and verse 16. And the word of God says, who knows what John 3.16 says? For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just as a, as a way of, uh, of reminding you of what we spoke about last week, we said, firstly, God's love is impartial. We've seen the impartiality of God's love in that God so loved the world. The world is a mess. You are a mess. Yet God sent His Son to die for the world. It's impartial. He doesn't look and say, John chapter 3 and verse 16. He doesn't look and say, Oh no, I'm only going to... I'm only going to send Jesus to die for the Jews. Because after all, Jesus is born from that lineage. No, he said, I'm sending Jesus to die for Salvan and to, for Diana, for Lindo, for Adriel, for Lauren, for Manju, for Nirvana, for everyone. I'm sending Jesus to die for everyone. The world is a messy place, but I'm sending Jesus to die for this mess. So that through him, the mess can be cleaned up. God's love is impartial. And as we think of building a safe community, an authentic Christian community, we cannot build an authentic Christian community on anything else but the foundation of God's love. That is why I'm spending a little bit more time in this year. Because if we can build on the foundation of God's love, we have a genuine Christian community. Secondly, I said to you that God's love is irrational. We've seen the irrationality of God's love. He gave his son. I mean, can you imagine? People still wonder how how can God die for us? It makes no sense. God hanging on the cross for our sake. Look at what this, uh, this, the third verse of the song says. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. This is foolishness to the world. How can a man dying on a cross, man who died on a cross, bring salvation to every one of you? But the Bible tells us that to the world, this is foolishness. Now listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
I want that to sink in for us today as believers, as Christians. The, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, I've handed out the Bibles to you today. You might take the Bible and look at it and say, well, you know what, I don't think this book here can give me life or can really satisfy me. That, might, that could very well be your attitude. Then there could be another person saying, I can't wait to read more of it because I, I read this verse yesterday and I was so excited and I experienced this transformation that I can't wait to read some more and, and see what God is going to do today. So the one person, the one person who is perishing, this is foolishness to them. But be, and through the experience of the other person, it's wisdom to them. They, they've, they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and they want more of it. They want more of it. So even in the church, you might find Christians who are looking at the cross and saying, I can't see how the cross can transform my life. Well, because you're not, you're not taking it and you're not, you're not experiencing it, you're not reading the word of God, you're not praying. You're not tasting enough to see that the Lord really is good. But once you taste and see that the Lord is good, then Guess what? You want more. It's like soji. You know, there's some sojis that look like it's, you know, not tasty at all. But I usually tell people, you know what, just fill it for me. I want to taste it first. Right? Seriously. I tell them, just little bit, I want to taste it first. And then when I taste and see that it's good, then I say, okay, leave the pot here. Right? And that's how it is with all of us. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, we want to experience the Lord every second of the day. Third, and this morning I want to pick up from there, I want to speak about the intervention of God's love. So we've seen the, we've seen the impartiality of God's love. We've seen the irrationality of God's love. Now I want to speak on the intervention of God's love. He gave His only Son. He gave. He gave. God gave. God wasn't sitting there in, in heaven, right, or, or roaming around the earth in, in spirit and, and saying to Himself, I want to see how Sullivan gets out of this one. I want to see how the angel gets out of this one. It doesn't do that. Because God knows I cannot get myself out of this one. He has to give. He has to give. If God does not give, I won't have. That's the fact of it. That's the fact of salvation. So when God loves us, God loves us with action. He gives. Similarly, when we also love, we must love with action. Can you imagine you, you're looking at somebody struggling or, you know, trying to find a way through life and they need some advice or they need some counsel or whatever the situation is and you're just sitting back and saying, I want to see how this person gets out of that one. Oh, let them get out of that one. They got themselves into a mess. Let them get out of it. 
what if God really did that? Adam and Eve got themselves into this mess. Consequently, we got ourselves into the mess because of them. And God were to say, Ah, man, the world got itself into the mess. Let them get themselves out of it. Where would we be today? We won't have the hope of salvation. We'll be stuck. But God doesn't do that. God steps in and He gives. He's made a way. God remedies our powerless situation by intervening with his own power. That's what God does. I want to ask you if if you are bankrupt and you need a loan, what would you do? If you are bankrupt and you need a loan, what would you do? You'll go apply for a loan. Now, why why would you go apply for a loan? Okay, you need the money. Let me ask you this question. Right? Why do you go to bed? Don't answer your why do you go to bed? You go to sleep to rest. Anybody else? Why do you go to bed? Sorry? I don't do lip reading. It's not one of my gifts. Why do you go to bed? Because the bed can't come to you. (laughs) Got you, right? You go to bed because the bed can't come to you. So when you are bankrupt, where do you go? You go, you go, you go to the bank, you go for a loan because you cannot resource yourself. I mean, can you imagine I don't have any money? I'm broke, totally broke, and I'm talking to myself, Sullivan, I was alone there. <laughs> Come on, man, this 10 rand. And now if I had the multiple egos, right, you know, our schizo, my other part would be saying, hey, bro, I'm broke too, man. I don't have anything to give you. Right? Simply put, when we are bankrupt, we cannot borrow from ourselves. We need to take from somewhere else. We need to look outside ourselves to find the necessary resource. And the Bible tells us we are in that way. We are spiritually bankrupt. Here's the problem. People are spiritually bankrupt, but guess what they're doing? They're borrowing from themselves. They're constantly borrowing from themselves. But they cannot lend themselves. They cannot satisfy themselves. They cannot resource themselves. Somebody needs to give them so that they can find full satisfaction. So that they can come out of the state of spiritual bankruptcy. And the Bible tells us that God intervenes. God is the bank. He gives. He gives. And we take from God. Because God gives. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 and verse 26 says this. If somebody has it, please turn there. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 to 26. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight 
by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of, of sin. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, through which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Okay, stop. Can you see that there, even there we find the impartiality of God's salvation? There is no difference. Then he goes on to say, God presented him, that's Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. Can you see that? Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. If we do not take what God is giving us, we will forever be spiritually bankrupt. I want to take this to another level. When I came to know Jesus Christ, I was 13 years old. That's in 1985. Now you know my age. That's in 1985. I was 13 years old. But just coming to know Christ is not the end of it all. There's more to be found in Christ. There's a journey that we take. And as we take this journey with Him, we experience Him more and we experience Him in His fullness. Now, here's the problem in the church. We feel that because we are Christians, there's nothing more to be learned. We feel we've arrived. We got salvation, now we're just waiting for heaven. That's not the point of it. God wants us to be transformed into Jesus Christ. He wants us to become more like Jesus Christ. So for as long as I am on the earth, God wants me to experience more of Christ so that I become more like Him. That's the journey. And God gives us the resources for that journey. And we take, and we take, and we take. Do you know why? Because I'm bankrupt. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 to 9 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You ever went to bed, you know, at night especially, and you had this, you know, this feeling like you're falling? You ever have that, like, you know, and you got no control of yourself. You feel so powerless and so helpless. Right? Or if you're in a dark closet, like if I were to lock you up in one of these, these cupboards here and it's pitch dark inside, how would you feel? Claustrophobic, right? You, you'll, want to, you'll want to get out of it. There will be this desperation for you to escape that closet. When we, when we, when we are without Jesus Christ, it's as if we are in a closet, we're claustrophobic, we're absolutely powerless, and we feel we're going to die. And those who are Jesus Christ are definitely going to die, right, spiritually. And, and God says, you see, at that's just the right time when we are still powerless, 
Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, people will always say this. I don't want to go to church because there's so many things wrong with me. I, I want to go to church when everything is right. You know, when I'm okay. When I'm okay with God, then I'll go to church. In all of my years of experience, right, I've not known anybody going to the doctor when they are well. Do you ever wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm feeling so great today. Book a doctor's appointment for me. You know, do you ever phone a specialist and say, Doc, you know what, all my kidney, my kidneys, my blood and all is all good. I've got a strong heart. Can we do some heart surgery today? I, I don't understand why when we are unwell, we go to the doctor and why when we are unwell, we don't want to come to the Lord. We want to come to Him when we are well. But the Bible tells us we cannot make ourselves well. That's why we need the surgeon. We come only when we are unwell. Hey, if I'm well, I don't need God, man. I don't need a cross if I can repair my own sin, sinful, uh, sinfulness. I need the cross because I cannot repair it. I need the surgeon because I cannot perform surgery on my own heart and on my own body. I need someone with the right expertise who can do that for me. And so the Bible says to us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? There's no need for him to die for us when we, if we are without sin. There's no need. God heals our spiritual bankruptcy through Jesus Christ and he continues to give us the grace to grow through Christ. And I want you to take this. Folks, open your hands every day and say, Lord, give me. I'm so desperate to grow. Give me. And, and as you read your, your Bibles and as you walk with him, I promise you God will open up you know, avenues and areas of change in your life that would be, that's unimaginable. Unimaginable. Lastly, I want to introduce you to the invitation of God's love. The invitation of God's love. So we, we have seen the impartiality of God's love, the irrationality of God's love, the intervention of God's love, and now the invitation of God's love. Here's the invitation. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God doesn't, uh, just, doesn't just set a person free from sin. He sets them free to live with him again. I love that. You know, one of the things I would love to experience is, is, is what Adam and Eve experienced. God walking into the garden in the noon of the day. I mean, let's face it. If I were to ask you, who is that one person, the celebrity person you'd like to meet today? You'll come up with a name. That's the way it is with a Christian. You know, we'd love to be in that close community 
with God. Walking in the noon of the day. Can you imagine God just pitching up and saying, Lawrence, can I come and visit you today? Or Salvan, you know, may I come and have some tea with you? That would be cool, right? Can you imagine any present Donald some just saying, hey, you know what, Adriel, I'm in town. Uh, let's meet. Let's have coffee. You'll drop everything and you'll, you, you'll want to meet with this person. It's a wonderful experience. And God wants to take us to that place when he freed us from sin. The wonderful invitation of God's love is that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's not a story. It's not like uh, a lie. God is just bluffing us and saying, Ah, man, you know, if you believe on me, you'll have eternal life. Eternal life is within the grasp of anyone who wants it. People are searching for it. People are searching for it. Hindus are searching for it. Muslims are searching for it. Buddhists are searching for it. Christians have it. People desperately need it, but people don't want to look to the cross for it. The Apostle Paul walks through the city of Athens in his day and he notices something strange in the city. He addresses it. It's recorded in Acts chapter 17 and verse 23. It says this, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Reminds me of a time there was this lady in church and she had on a shelf the many gods, Hindu, many Hindu gods. And right there in the middle, among the gods, was Jesus. Rabbi Zechariah wrote a book many years ago. Rabbi Zechariah is a popular Christian apologist. He wrote a book called Jesus Among Other Gods. And, and many people are quite content. Hey, let's have Jesus on the shelf. Because if one of these gods fails, maybe, just maybe, Jesus will, will come through. I mean, the more gods we have, the better it is for us because, hey, you know, one person might just fail us. And so as Paul is walking through the city, he notices statues of all the gods that the Greeks worshipped. But then, they probably thought to themselves, hey, you know what, we could have left one god out. So they built a statue and right at the bottom was the inscription to the unknown God. So Paul sees that and he say, the text goes on to say, Paul, Paul found this altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him. And find him, though he is not far from each of each one of us. For in him we move, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think 
that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set up a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He appointed, that is Jesus Christ. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. Wow. In, a, in, in this conversation that Paul is having with these Athenian philosophers, he extends to them an invitation, an invitation for every individual. The invitation is that of the father calling his children to come home. Paul says this, For in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. He is not far from anyone who will reach out to him and find him. Often we, when we go through our difficulties or when we go through our challenges, we think God is far from us. All God wants us to do is reach out to Him and find Him. It's an invitation calling His children to come home. And Paul is, is very clear here. He says this, we are His offspring. We are His children. The people outside are his children. Everybody that you come into contact with today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life are God's children. And God is not far from their reach. He's not far from our reach. We can reach him. We can find him. And when we do, we will experience new life. This is a wonderful invitation that your father gives to you. Your Father gives to you. He gives to every human being. Here's the problem. Not many are taking it. Not many are taking it. You know, he's, he's given this invitation. He says, I would like you to be in heaven with me. Now you get wedding invitations, right? Like all of us get wedding invitations. What do you do when you have a wedding invitation? You either respond to it appropriately and say, I accept, I'll be there. Or you might phone them and say, you know what, I don't think I can, I'll come through because I'm busy on that day. We've rejected some wedding invitations. Or sometimes, guess what happens? We take the invitation, we tuck it away and we forget about it. Then the day of the wedding comes and it's gone and then, like me, I'll find myself saying to Diana, hey, you know what? We forgot about the wedding. But it's too late. It's over. When God gives you an invite, most people do that. You know, we, we respond appropriately. We say, yes, I'm taking it. I want to be with you in heaven. Some people will, will put it aside and say, I'll think about it. Or they'll openly reject God and say, you know what? It's okay. I'm not ready yet. I won't be there. Or, we'll forget about it altogether. It's tucked in the drawer and the time comes when, when Christ will return and we'll say, oh man, I forgot to respond. It's too late. It's too late. Now is the time. Today is the time. Not just to come to Christ in salvation, but today is the time to renew your walk with the Lord in whatever areas 
you are in whatever you're struggling with, today is the time to renew your walk with the Lord. And you say, Lord, I'm placing my hand in yours. Take me as per your promise and strengthen me. Change me to be more like you. I want to close again with this wonderful, wonderful hymn. I'm not going to sing it, but we'll, uh, I'll read it out to you. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portal, he's waiting and watching. Watching for you and for me. It's like an expectant father or an expectant mother whose child is gone away and they're waiting for the child to return. God is waiting for us to return. Come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Oh sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Come on, come on. You who are weary, come on. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner. Let's just sing that chorus.